Welcome listeners to another episode of Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinomo Bitan and Professor Dan Cable. In each episode, the two of us pick apart a peer-reviewed and published social science paper and we squeeze the gems out of it for your listening pleasure. This episode is titled Let Go and that's a double entendre because we'll be talking about getting fired and getting over it. I'm going to jump you into the conversation in free two one how's it going Dan? really good looking forward to doing this today uh, i found the topic of today's article really worthy of fun packing and i think that it's particularly interesting to look at this idea that when we experience something negative like some trauma uh writing about that experience can act as a cure so i thought we could fun pack that together anything you want to say about it or shall i introduce the uh article and the authors fun packing trauma (laughs) you're making it difficult for me to make jokes every episode dan but let's go for it what's the what's the article we're going to be diving into he says having read it already (laughs) this is um expressive writing and coping with job loss the authors are Stephanie Spira, Eric Bunfeind, and James Pennebaker, published in the Academy of Management Journal. And, um, wow, I think there's a lot of interesting things to say here. One of the things that I guess we ought to dig into is just this idea about when we experience trauma, like losing a job or like losing a spouse. I mean, a lot of really terrible things happen to good people. But a lot of times the emotions that we experience are not accessible to us. So we feel them, but we don't always know how to identify them or put them in a category. And at the end of today's article, at the end of the whole point here, that might be one of the themes that's coming out is maybe there's something about writing about trauma and the things that happened to us that help us develop a story about them. Yeah, I find this very interesting because initially this idea of writing about trauma uh, I see losing a job as probably one of the best things that can happen to most people. <laughs> Just think about the extra sleep that you're going to get. But losing losing a job is in the top 10 of most traumatic things that happen to people, uh, which sounds very lofty. It's number eight, though, so it's mm. uh, it's not, it's not mm. the heaviest thing that could happen to you. But as I read through this, my empathy levels went up significantly in terms of... I, I, I was reading it thinking how... How empathetic or sympathetic could I really feel towards people who are losing their jobs, go out and get another one? As I read through more and more, it became a heavier and heavier topic for me to, mm-hmm. to kind of like dive through with lots of interesting findings as well. That's right. Maybe it's worth saying a couple of those for now in case the, the sort of listeners are wondering about this. A lot of these people that lost their jobs were um, even middle level to higher level management in an engineering environment, in a computer science environment they often would have been the primary breadwinners for their family and so sort of dire you know financial implications and a lot of them aren't in the position of losing their job for a week or two some of them six months on yeah so the people who are looked at in the studies yeah you're looking at this gap of let's say from month five to about month uh, i want to say eight or nine uh, they had the good pleasure of cutting this study short because people were gaining employment Uh, and when we kind of look through the study we'll see how it was the writing which helped people to find their way uh into 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 new roles you know if we start to look at why this is worth fun packing you know if we start to squeeze this orange of social science it's good to i think point out the tension here which is 
Maybe to many listeners, it would be counterintuitive that you would want to ruminate on negative emotions. I think that if we were sitting here saying the opposite was true, it would be equally believable. That is to say, when you experience something very negative, trauma, um, you know, a car accident that has paralyzed part of your body or losing a spouse or one of these sorts of things, boy, you could imagine some advice saying, just try not to think about it too much. And what this research is saying is almost the opposite, where if you write about it, not just once, but on an ongoing basis for multiple days, maybe 20 minutes a day for five days, what results is a better ability to cope with the trauma. And I wondered, what was, like, what was your initial reaction for that? Well, my initial reaction for that was a lot of that did make sense to me. So as I was reading through this study, part of the challenge when you go through trauma is what builds up inside you, according to this study, when it relates to job loss, is this idea of fear and this idea of anger as well. So those are two strong emotions that are stirred up. So you can imagine if we're talking about about people who their average tenure was about 20 years. So you've given a significant portion of your professional career and your adult life to this organization. And for whatever reason, they've decided that it's time for you to go. Either we can't keep paying you or whatever the reason is, it's time for you to go. So now you're left feeling abandoned. Something that you've dedicated so much time to, now when you need the most, they turn around and say, Tara, we we no longer in need of your services. And so it makes sense to me that the anger and the, the resentment, they also use the word bitterness. It makes sense for me that that would build. So writing as a process for that then in turn makes sense because what people are trying to find is a way of coping, as you mentioned, but also a sense of uh, closure as well. Closure on a traumatic event that happened. So you may get like a, uh, there may be like a funeral, for example, if someone close passes and it helps you to kind of like process what's going on. I'm not really sure there's a, a funeral process for your job. For yeah, I'm not going to lose my job and then invite all of my friends around yes. for sandwiches yes. and <laughs> to mourn the loss it's of that to mourn job. The loss of my employment. You might have a party. That's one interesting insight that you've brought to me today is uh, a job loss is a cause for celebration. That may not be most people's knee-jerk reaction, but on the other side, they're also not going to throw a wake, are they? They're not going to have that moment of um, mourning. Uh, they are going to yeah. be doing the sensible thing of conserving their resources <laughs> and probably easing back on their expenses yes. until they're once again yeah. in gainful employment. You know, one of the things as you were talking about the emotions you mentioned anger, and you mentioned um, fear, I think. There's also, I yeah. guess, an embarrassment, isn't there? Yes. That I hadn't thought of too much, but I, I guess the idea that when you are let go, it means you're not belonging here anymore, and that you don't add something to us anymore. Boy, maybe part of the problem is you bottle that up. You know, if if part of what emotions need is to be expressed, to be noted, to be talked through with a friend, maybe that's exactly what you're not doing. 
which which was really valuable about this writing exercise because one of the things that the researchers the reason why the researchers especially used writing as a method here is because you're able to write in in privacy you're able to there's things that run around and they'll run circles in your head uh, whether it's trauma or whether it's just sometimes you remember something that you did five years ago that was really embarrassing and it just runs circles in your head where you just keep mm-hmm. thinking about it again and again. This idea of a being able to release that onto paper, it does a significant amount of good in terms of the healing process. And I feel like that's where a big part of the value is because as you mentioned, Dan, there's this ability for people to bottle things up but one, you can only bottle things for too long. And two, even when you do bottle things up, as noted in this study, is they start to seep out in different areas of your life. So people who were involved in this study, which was, it was probably about 99% men who were in, involved in the study, but they talk about the job loss then impacting their personal lives and their personal relationships as well. And I can definitely see how as an individual, if you're in this state of anger, fear, uh, feeling humiliated, mm-hmm. rejected, and you're now in social situations with friends and family, I can see how that that acid could start to seep out. Where very simple questions such as, how was your day? Now it's like, how dare you ask me how my day was mm-hmm. when you know that I've spent most of it uh, returning phone calls and chasing up leads and you know I'm not working. So things that are very simple in terms of questions and opportunities, they then start adding that hurt onto you. That's right. And so in addition to how we respond to family and friends with simple questions like, how was your day? What this article is doing is it's leveraging a research literature to show why and how that could affect job replacement, finding new work. So I wanted to just mention, in terms of this uh, James Pennebaker, he's the third author in this study, but one of the things he's made a real contribution to the literature since this study as well, is he has shown how, with some other co-authors, writing about trauma can actually increase your health. Folks that have experienced different types of trauma Um, are randomly put into these categories where four or five days in a row they write for 20 minutes about their feelings and their emotions and what it makes them think about, kind of deep probing of their own ideas and their own emotions. And what he's shown in many, many studies now, and not just him, but a whole stream of research is people that are randomly assigned to do that activity are less likely to be sick in the months that follow, less likely to go to the doctors in the months that follow, and less likely to have serious, not just head colds, also cancer, heart disease. So there is a really nice research literature suggesting that it almost literally acts as a palliative, as a cure to write about our emotions. The insight that the authors had in this cool study is to say, could it actually not only help with our physiology, could it help with our psychology to the point where we processed the world better and made opportunities more likely to happen? I I found that very interesting as well, Dan, because what they were alluding to in this study, and as you mentioned, there's been lots of similar studies before, But what it creates is that you're able to qualitatively put a better version of yourself out there. So they were measuring they were measuring things such as heart rate, 
blood pressure, uh, how many callbacks you were getting from jobs that you applied to, how many interviews you were getting invited to. So across a lot of that data, those who were writing stories and those who weren't writing stories, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the measures, a lot of the data that they were pulling, very similar. So the people who were writing and those who weren't writing, they're working just as hard. They're submitting just as many application forms. But it's interesting to think how if you've been able to resolve something internally, when you're writing a covering letter, you're putting something a little bit different in there qualitatively, I imagine. When people are speaking to you over the phone or in person, there's a, there's a let's say, a warmer or a more attractive... Mm. Yeah, let's say a more attractive version of you is coming across. Whereas if you're still holding that resentment, there's, there's a way in which it's leaking out. That's Something right. that you think is bottled and being contained, it's, uh, it's inhibiting you from being the best version of yourself that you can put out there. That's right. I was working with a big bank not too long ago in the Netherlands, and they were letting go of 30, 35% of their people. And I was working with these senior leaders on the idea of the stories that you tell yourself about what's happened. And as a group, as a class, we came up with the idea that if your story about what's happened here is, I got fired, I'm unemployed, I'm not valuable, and then you go to an interview, there's a certain leakage or emotional contagion that might occur there. If your story is, I'm taking a career break, this is a period in my life where I'm looking over what I've accomplished and thinking about repivoting and moving towards something that I love even more. Then people, are, their reaction is, oh, lucky. I wish I had the bravery. I wish I had the courage to do that because here I am as an interviewer, bored in what I do probably, and you're talking like you're a freed soul. And both can be the same facts, but the interpretation of the facts is something that I'm quite excited about, and this is a fresh beginning for me really leaks a different emotional uh, quality compared to I feel as though I've been let go and am valueless. It's a, how do I put this? It's, it's possibly the difference between feeling sorry for someone and being inspired by someone. So for me to say, in spite of what I went through, check out my attitude, check out my ambition, and that's very different from someone, please listen to this woeful tale. Because I need money. Because, yeah. yeah. It is because I need money and my, my kids need new trainers. The mortgage isn't going to pay itself. That's all very interesting, but I want to work with the person who my, my feeling towards them is going to be when that person joins the team they're going to inspire others as opposed to are we going to have to pick this person up by their collar and kind of like give them a few months to really find the color back right. in, their, in their skin. Uh, I think that there's something that we need to put out there about the study. Just part of what we're trying to do here um, is when we fun pack, we're trying to say that there's an evidence base under all this. These aren't just some interesting ideas. This is science, capital S. Interestingly, in this study, the sample was quite small and quite narrow. And so you already pointed out the one element, which is it's overwhelmingly male. So this might be a male phenomenon. We don't know that's true, but it could be true. Another issue that I would take with this is we're looking at a total of 63 people. And the idea that the 63 people were put into these different groups. Now, they were randomly assigned where 20 of them were put into this um, expressive writing condition. 
21 of them were put into a condition where they were writing. Physically, they were doing the same thing. They were same 20 minutes, you know, five days, um, and they were writing about their day. They were just writing about what they did that day. So kind of leaving out the emotional baggage and the feelings of being fired and all this. And then 22 people were just pure controls, no writing whatsoever. The design is strong, but the sample is small and narrow. You know, one field, one gender, and so on. So I just wanted to put that out there for the listeners, because as we're talking about this, it is Science with a Capital S, and this is one of our top journals, and, and so on. I, I believe in it. But it's not as though, you know, this was a 1,000 people across lots of industries. What would you say um, when you read what the actual experimental design was, when, when you saw that they were going to write for five consecutive days, 20 minutes a day, what was your gut reaction to that? A lot? A little? My, my gut reaction with, I was trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who is a, a recognized professional in their field. And if I were them, my initial gut reaction would be like, I've got to get a job. Why are you making me spend this amount of time writing about how I feel? I have things that need to be done. Like, I want, I want to know about opportunities. I want to know about skills. Is there, is there a book I should probably be reading? Is there something that I can grab that's measurable that I can then take to my next interview. So this idea of sitting down and writing about how I feel, I would get the sense that me in that kind of position would feel like this is a waste of my time. Interesting, like, I mean, if I just give the listeners a little more detail on that, what they were asked to write about was your deepest thoughts and feelings surrounding the layoff and how your lives, both personal and professional, had been affected. There's a sense in which that's a bit of myopia, almost this sense of do some me-search on you and just really get in there and express yourself. Instead of writing a cover letter, really? Instead of like going and having an interview, is that, is that the best use of 20 minutes? I think that, that that counterintuitive piece of it is why this is fun to talk about right now. I think that humans and our brains aren't as logical and as rational or as efficiency-oriented as it might appear at the top level, looking down into the water. This is one of the things I, I really admire about social science as well, is because it's what it, what it's what it seems to be doing a lot of the time, in many of occasions, is it's saying, where is the potential that's already within us that we can mine? So if you've lost your job and you're looking for a job, the potential can always seem external, Whereas, is, is there a website I'm not aware of? Is there an opening that I'm, I'm not yet sure of that I could be applying for? Whereas there's work that we can do internally that allows us to present a better version of ourselves. And, and I guess this is why the word qualitative is so important here because it's not a matter of in, in like that time that you spent writing this letter Yes, it could be spent applying for another job, but is there as much value in that if it's the same acidic version of yourself that is applying for that job? Or is it better to actually take some time to process that trauma and then put forward a better version of yourself to be seen? That's, yep, that's right. And I think that if, um, 
if we just remember that getting a job is a very interpersonal process that has a lot to do with how you make the interviewer feel, that version that you have running around in your head and the way that you have put closure on that trauma could have a pretty big influence. And in terms of big influence, well, at first, after four months, they already noticed a statistically significant difference. They let it run for another four months. And after eight months, only five of the 21 control subjects who were writing about their days, only 23.8% of them had accepted jobs. Um, three of the 22 non-writing control subjects, these are the ones that did nothing at all. They just watched them. They did no writing at all. Uh, that's only 13.6% of them had gotten jobs, whereas 10 out of the 19, that's almost 53% of the people that did this expressive writing, they had found full-time employment. The two control groups weren't statistically different from each other. That is to say, it didn't actually help to spend the 20 minutes writing about your day. It wasn't the writing that did it. It wasn't pen to paper. It was this idea about writing about the trauma that led to this statistically significant, substantial difference. And did you notice they canceled the study? Well, this is, this is where I found the humor. <laughs> it, was, it was not easy to find, but <laughs> imagine this, listeners. You've, you've been out of work for five months. Five months or so, you're out of work, and you get offered to you get the opportunity to be part of this study. So there's sixty of you, and you look around the waiting room, and you're thinking to yourself, "I'm better than all of these people. I shouldn't be here amongst these people. I should be contributing my my engineering skills towards something valuable." You randomly get assigned to groups. So let's say I'm in one of the two control groups. I'm either in the group that's doing no writing or the group that's doing the procedural writing. So I'm not, I'm not talking about how I feel. I'm not talking about anything personal, but it's like the procedure stuff. I'm in one of those two groups. So one month goes past, and our groups are still pretty large. That group started thinning out now. Two months, that group's getting a bit thinner. By month three, I'm like, yo, <laughs> facilitator. Let me in on that writing What's stuff? going on over there? Because... <laughs> Each week we come back, there's fewer of those guys. And what's also interesting as well is, in terms of like the self-reporting, they were also self-reporting <laughs> on their physical health as well. So not only am I looking at the, the, the group that the study is all about, they're all bouncing, they're all jovial. I'm like, what's so funny over there? What are these guys smiling about? Meanwhile, the dude to the left of me, he's, he's coughing up, up a lung. <laughs> Someone opposite me, we're all they're passing around the get well card because he had a stroke. I'm like, can we get me out of this group, please? And into the other group. And one of the things that I gotta give them a shout out for actually is after they did terminate the study early, one of the, the nice things that they did say is you can all come back and do the the emotional writing side of it as well. So they did open up that opportunity, they didn't just shut up shop. Uh, and then say you're all on your own now. But they were giving them, uh, I guess, kind of like feedback in terms of the results. But they also made it available for them to do this uh, this writing exercise as well. But Hearing that would get to my it, goat. Yeah, that would get my goat. And I think that your goat would have a hard time believing that what they were doing over there wasn't taking adrenaline or taking you know, some drug that made them healthier and happier. They were investing 20 minutes a day writing. And I think it's one of those things, maybe like meditation, where the science is in. You know, this is an activity. Journaling, 
meditation. These are activities that if we do them, they make us happier, healthier, wiser. They help us create better realities for ourselves. And yet, there's something that we still have a hard time believing about them, I think. There's something about planning our days that we don't often make time for that 20 minutes. It's only 20 minutes on the one hand, and it'll make you healthier, and it'll help you achieve these career goals. And yet, today, maybe I'd rather watch the telly. There always, there always seems to be a better use of time. It's like when you go to the gym, the, the value of warming up. It's, it's vital. Like, spend five to ten minutes, just stretch out those muscles and those joints, just get real loose, because you're going to now benefit from that when you then sit on the, the row machine or the, the bike or if you're doing dead, whatever it is that you get busy doing in the gym. But that little bit of time that you invest before you start hitting all of the apparatus, that's valuable. Like it's super valuable time well spent. And I guess the same way that we can do this for our physical muscles, there's things that we can do for, that we can do mentally as well. There's things that we can do psychologically that better prepare us for the tasks ahead that we face and it, it feels like that's what this is and because I remember I remember an occasion in which I was fired from a job and I can I can I could totally empathize with the humility element of it and for me the big humility side of it was was uh or if I, even if I say the humiliation of it mm. part of the big humiliation is leaving the office because you're your, box of stuff walking past everybody poking their heads up and looking over their cubicles and people know there's something in the air it's like Atkins gone into the the office with his with his his manager in HR he's come back out now his head is held high but we can see in his eyes he's he's broken yeah he's a broken man and so now it's like, you know, one or two people might come over and they're like, you know, how are you? And it's all too soon. Stroking your arm a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's okay. You'll find something. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And now go write for 20 <laughs> minutes about this experience, right? Um, I was going to mention, and I think um, maybe there's a little bit of interest or if, if not humor here. Did you happen to notice that those in that uh, experimental group where they wrote about their emotions were less likely to be drinking? I did. So six weeks after this experiment happened, they were statistically significantly less likely to be drowning their sorrows or hiding from their sorrows. And again, a little bit interesting to think about how maybe alcohol is playing that role of helping me get away from that story or um, putting my mind at rest about that lack of closure. Whereas for this other group, because they had found a way to put closure around that, it just wasn't as necessary. It, yeah, it seems to it seems to be that the role when you're when you're going through a traumatic experience. It seems that the role that alcohol can play is to encourage the downward spiral. And so you find yourself in, in a tough situation that is difficult to talk about, difficult to write about, but you can dull that sensation. You can dull that hurt with uh, a bottle of whiskey. Is that a, you? That was yours? That was my, yeah, my yeah, go-to yeah. was <laughs> famous grouse. Uh, <laughs> But you can dull that. But there's a benefit to, to facing it. And through this study, I, I presume that what we're seeing here is, as you mentioned, 
in facing it and in addressing it and in writing about it, what people are doing is putting themselves in a position where they're processing. They're processing what's going on and they themselves are now getting closer to a point of closure. And the closer you get to that point of closure, you start, instead of, being, instead of being on a downward spiral, you start entering an upward spiral where you're like, I feel good and I want to encourage myself to feel good. And also there's fewer things that I'm trying to now escape from or run away from. Right. So I don't necessarily need yes. the, the Bell's whiskey anymore. I can just enjoy a glass of red over dinner with my wife who I'm not shouting at or sending passive aggressive comments over the table yeah. because I've actually been processing what's been going on. That's great. And so I can talk to her and be a bit like today was a, a bit of a rough day like uh, I didn't get any callbacks and you know but but you know tomorrow I'm going to you know write my 20 minutes I'm going to jump online and get some things pinged out as opposed to all of that bottled uh, anger and fear that we talked about earlier seeping out in different ways, you, you allow it out. And it means there's other areas of your life now that don't need to then be subjected to, to that bitterness. That's right. As we move toward close on this exciting episode, I wanted to bring up um, a, a literature that has happened since this article and then give a suggestion that maybe listeners would want to try at home. The, since this article has come out, there's actually been a stream of research suggesting that it makes life better to also write about positive trauma. Most of the trauma you're going to hear about, even the word trauma, has associations with these really negative events. But for instance, um, getting a really good job uh, having a child, um, finding out that you've gotten some big promotion or um, having a, a marriage, for example. These might be times that are peak human emotions. And the new research literature is suggesting that writing about those also improves the quality of life, that those people are substantially, significantly happier with their lives and less likely to get sick when they write about that trauma. So this is something I've actually started trying to do. If I have, even frankly, a big night out where I see a band that I particularly love, or if we have some friends over and we have a dinner that goes particularly well and we have a good time, when the dust settles, I actually take a little bit of time and I go and write about what was it that made me so chuffed? What did I enjoy so much about that event? And so, you know, you can't always understand why things are going to work, but there is a whole scientific literature around this idea of expressing your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings in a journal to yourself and only to yourself. So I would just encourage people, give that a try. It's, you do it for five days consecutively for about 20 minutes. And you know, you've got science on your side. Wonderful. And on that note as well, my... I guess one of the things that this helps me with in terms of how I consider trauma is when I think about the stages of grief and I believe the final stage of grief is acceptance. And what this helped me to realize is that all of those stages before that, they are processes that you have to go through not necessarily in the order. I know there's like a certain ordering, but they always say you don't need to experience it in those orders, but you do need to experience it. And one of the things that this has helped me with is to encourage me in terms of get to the stage of acceptance quicker. Not necessarily to rush it, but there's ways that I can get there quicker if I'm able to actually sit down and instead of ignoring, pushing down or drinking away, I sit down and I think 
And I don't just think so it ruminates in circles in my head, but I think and I allow it to take place on the page. And I think with, with this writing, it's not to say that you can't talk to people about what you're going through, because I imagine that's definitely recommended. But if you're coming from a position of fear or humiliation, there may be certain details that you don't want to disclose. So, so sometimes you might not want to disclose that, oh, well, maybe it was a performance issue for me, or maybe I'm a bit bitter because some people at the company kept their jobs who were at a similar le level of, as me, and I'm a bit resentful towards them because they're still paying their mortgage, they're still going into work every day. I'm sat at home, and I'm just as good as John. If anything, I'm even better than John. You might not want to express that openly to a friend because they might look at you and be a bit like, okay. Come yeah. to grips. Come to grips, my friend. <laughs> yes. So there seems to be a, a value at getting to the point of closure slash acceptance quicker. And I believe there's a piece that then comes out of that. Thank you for unpacking this bit of social science with me, Akin. It's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the next one.